0: I cannot wait to see you. Lori Montenegro has blazed a remarkable path from correspondent to head of Noticias Telemundo's Washington Bureau. She is a gifted storyteller. You're going to hear Lori had me crying and laughing in equal measure as she shares the ugly truths of this industry, the highs of going toe-to-toe with the President of the United States, and her standard for an excellent interview. Hi, Lori. Hi. Hi. You to me are like a an international woman of mystery because the way your bio is written you were born and then you worked <laughs> as a correspondent in Spanish language media and there's basically nothing that happened in between
1: <laughs> but a lot happened in between a lot happened in between so tell me about that were you born in Cuba so I was born in Cuba, not in Havana. I was born in Oriente, in Santiago de Cuba. I came to the United States uh, with my parents when I was about a month and a half old. Um, so you have no memories of Cuba? None, no memories whatsoever of growing up. I grew up in Miami, Miami, Florida. My mother worked uh, for the Arnaz family. She uh, worked for Desi Arnaz's parents in Oriente. And they asked her, if she was interested in migrating to the United States because they were going to go live in Miami Beach. And so she, of course, said yes. Not with the intention of staying in the United States, but it was more of an opportunity to make money and return where she was already dating my father, although we now know that that did not work out that way. So that is how they came here to the United States. My father traveled a year after my mom did and arrived in Key West, Florida. And so that's where it all began. My mother got pregnant with me and decided that she did not want me to be born in the United States. She wanted her daughter to be Cuban, so Cuban that she got on a plane. She lied, okay, when they asked her how many months she was pregnant. And she said, oh, I'm only six months. She lied, Alicia, got, gets on this plane, Pan American Airlines, and travels back to Havana, gets on a bus to go to Oriente. And on the way, she starts to have Labor pains. No me diga. Oh, yes. I was born in November of 1959. And a couple of months later, January 1st, 1960, my mother traveled back to the United States with her daughter, her Cuban daughter.
0: So for you, growing up Cuban in Miami, Florida, what were the messages you were getting about what your responsibility was to your family and what your responsibility was to your community?
1: Well, um, number one, my parents always said this country opened up um, its arms to the Cuban people. And it was a land of opportunity where when you worked hard, you could succeed at anything that you wanted. You need to get an education. You need to work hard. You need to serve your community. But at the same time, we can't forget who, those who are left behind. Remember where you came from. Remember what your roots were, but also remember that you have new roots uh, that you need to grow, love, uh, respect, and contribute to. And so that's how I kind of grew up. Now, remember, my parents come at a time when there was segregation. And so my father's first experience in this country was totally unpleasant. He arrives in Key West, they came on the ferry that, that went back and forth between Key West Havana, and they get to this restaurant and nobody would come and take their order. Finally, an old Cuban man gets up and says to them, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but they won't serve you in this restaurant because you are Black. And so you have to go to the next corner where they will serve you. So my mom looked at my dad. My mother says that his response—I can't repeat the word that he said, but he no, basically— this
0: is, this is This is PG-13. You can say whatever you he want. He
1: just basically said, you know, where what blank hole did you bring me to? Because he—you know, l- l- we're not going to deny the fact that in Cuba there was uh, racism and there was discrimination, but they had never felt it to that degree where— they wouldn't be served in a restaurant. And and he had never experienced something like that. And so that was his first impression of the United States. And so it took my mom a couple of months, I, I, I am told, to get him to see the bigger picture.
0: I wonder if there was discrimination or bias that you remember that you ran up against yourself, not just as a Black human living in the United States, the bias that exists within the community itself? Were you made to feel different?
1: So I went to a school where they were mostly Cubans. And I know for a fact that I was never invited to dance any 15s, ninguna quinceañera, because I was Black. And I know that, it, that's, that that was a fact. They never mentioned it, but it was just understood. You know, um, you can't be in a classroom uh, where there are 14 girls, 13 of them are invited to dance Loquince, and one of them isn't, and that one is me. I'm invited to the party, but I'm not invited to looking. So, yes, those things did happen. And my mom would just say, ellos se lo pierden. <laughs> it's their loss, not yours. You know, you know what you're worth, um, and you are loved. And uh, don't cry, Alicia, por favor. <laughs> don't do that. I, yeah, it hurts. It hurts, but I don't want you to. No, no tears shed. I mean, I think I just made me a better person. It made me a, a much more sensitive person.
0: Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club.
1: Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind.
0: How does that sensitive person decide she wants to be a journalist?
1: I didn't. So it's time to go to college. My parents didn't have a whole lot of money and I really never gave a whole lot of thought to it. My father never set foot in a kindergarten, never, didn't even go that far. He just didn't get there. Um, his mother taught him how to uh, read and write. And it was a grocery store owner who, who taught him math. And my mother only got up to the eighth grade when she had to stop uh, school and to go to work. And so they never really talked to me much about going to the university, although they did say getting an education was very, very important. So I remember graduating from high school. And one day, my mom, uh, right before graduation, came to me. And I don't know how she found this out, Alicia, but that woman was so visionary. She said to me, uh, look, I got these papers and this is Grant, un Grant. <laughs> the Grant. That's what she was saying. Apply, and you're going to go to Miami Gate Community College for two years. And then you can transfer, she said. Who gave her this information? I have no idea. But that's how important education was. She went out and got the information. So um, I get to Miami-Dade Community College. I have no idea what I wanted to study. I was one of these people that wants to be any, everything, just everything. And I decide to go any, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by the toe, and it landed on broadcast television. It was that versus criminology. And so my first semester uh, at Miami-Dade Community College, Professor Kearns sent about four of us to an interview, three or four of us to an interview at a radio station in Miami Beach. And he said, oh, none of you are going to get the job, but I want you to start to get this experience of about what this is about. There was a news director there, and uh, he, uh, George Addison, uh, decides, uh, to he interviews me, and then about two or three months passed by. I never heard a thing. And all of a sudden the phone rang one afternoon and it's him. And he says, oh, you know, um, do you remember you came in and did this interview? We want to know if you're still interested. We have an opening and we'd like to hire you. And I'm like on the phone, looking, staring at the phone going, are you kidding? This isn't radio. And he said, no, no, we're not kidding. And when can you start? And that's how the whole, this is how it all started.
0: 2013, you get your big sit-down interview with then-President Barack Obama. I think there are two types of people. There are types of people like me who get good news like that and immediately want to vomit because they're so nervous about everything that is riding on that opportunity. And there are people who, like, it just puts a real bounce in their step. Which kind are you?
1: I'm like you. <laughs> oh, yeah. that. I mean, listen, little immigrant girl... Parents that never went to school, or at least one of them didn't, and the other one never finished, goes into the White House um, and gets to sit down with the President of the United States. Wow. I can't take that for granted. That was my parents' sacrifice. I owe so much to them, their advice, their encouragement someone told me one time uh, i was transferring jobs and they said to me when those mexicans see that you're black you won't last there you won't even be there six months and i was so stunned by that comment and then what six seven years later i'm sitting in front of the first african-american president of the united states uh it's surreal it doesn't get any better than that and my legs were shaking (laughs) if that's what you want to know
0: I want to make it clear to our listeners, many of whom are not journalists themselves, the stakes of something like interviewing the president of the United States, especially when you are one of only two Spanish language networks that will have the access and opportunity to have that kind of interview. There's one, the pressure on you to make news, to ask something that is fresh and topical and that. Every other news station in the country is going to be playing 24 7. And there is the pressure on you as a person who does represent a community to come in and accomplish something on behalf of the community, to get a story in that normally wouldn't be a story, um, to make something top of mind. How did you prepare? Do you remember the prep that went into that interview?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, lots of reading, lots of asking different people from different backgrounds. What should I ask? I mean, it's obvious when we go into these interviews, you want to be asking about news of the day. You want to be on top of that. Uh, Up until the second you sit down and they put that microphone on until you turn that phone off, you're looking at the phone in case something last minute comes in. Uh, But a lot of reading and a lot of consulting. I don't think that we as journalists... um, should pretend that we know everything because we don't. Uh, Yes, um, you know, we have common sense and we should be able to uh, rationalize and analyze. But I always think it's, for me, the key of a good interview is asking other people. And maybe I have a way of uh, asking a question and then I'll consult with somebody else. It's the same question and they will give me a better way to ask that question because you know sometimes we fall into this thing where That's we a great point yeah we we ask questions and kind of like because the interviewee also preps and we all should let them know they get prepped too and so uh we need to ask questions in a way that we're not going to get the typical answer or the one that they were prepped for, you want to make news, but you also want to get something more profound. You really want to know what the person is thinking or how they feel. And so that's how I approached that interview and, and, and try to approach every other interview that I, I have ever done. I think also on the other side of it, you want to, you know, you don't want them to always think, oh, she's easy. Or that he's an easy I- interview. I think we need to be firm, but in a very respectful manner. Uh, we don't have to shout. Uh, we don't have to, you know, uh, be aggressive, but in a disrespectful manner. We need to remember that this is the presidency. OK, it doesn't matter who's sitting there. It is the presidency. And so there's a certain respect that that needs to go into that. And, you know, you always want to be able to leave the door open so that that person um, will grant you another interview. But I also want them to walk away with it was a tough interview, but it was fair. I wouldn't mind doing it again.
0: I also was watching a bunch of your, they weren't your reels, but there were pieces that have been done on you. And it also was so fun to watch, you know, because you were you're still sort of a pint-sized person, how fast you have to walk when you're doing your walk and talks on Capitol Hill. I was like, Lori can move. I was like, she is not only she being tough and fair, she is
1: like keeping it going. You, yeah, I got a funny story for you. Secretary Becerra now, uh, when he was in the House of Representatives, one day I, uh, we were calling him for an interview, and the producer says to me, he says that they'll give you the interview, but you've got to go now. So I didn't get a chance to change my shoes. And so I had on tennis, some flats, some tennis shoes. And so we ran to the Capitol. Uh, we get there, and I don't know Why? <laughs> Congressman Becerra at that time looks down, looks at my feet and goes, tennis shoes? (laughs) And that has been a running joke, you know, between us uh, forever and ever after that. And I said, well, you made me run here. And I sure as heck was not going to miss the interview.
0: (laughs) I love that so much.
1: You've been married almost 30 years? Mm, 37 years.
0: Okay. You married almost 40 years. (laughs) You have two adult children. And I've seen you out there. You've been hustling for the past 37 years. So how did you find a way to make all of that happen in the in-between?
1: Oh, I think that's the biggest challenge of all, Alicia. You know, there were sacrifices that were made. I am going to admit to you that I felt guilty because there were uh, recitals that were missed. Uh, Vacations that were postponed, birthdays uh, that had to be delayed because of work. But I had a very understanding family, a very understanding husband who, when we married, I was already in the business. So he kind of understood. There's a funny story. As a matter of fact, when we were dating, I had sprained my ankle and I was in radio and I had to go cover the elections in the city of Miami. And he, actually drove me around and held the, the microphone while I could do my interviews that's while how you on crutches. That's knew he was a keeper. Yes, that's how I knew he was a keeper. But, you know, seriously, I look back now and I realize that there were mistakes that I made. I don't regret anything in my career. I don't think we should regret anything. I think we tried to either learn from it or... When we're advising and talking to, to, to young women out there and, and, and future journalists, we try to explain our experiences so that they can learn from it. One of, one of the things that I started to do, you know, after my, my daughter was born, like I said, they're 10 years apart. So I decided that every school year, every time it would start, I would take off the first week. Always took I, that became non-negotiable for me. I took off the first week of school because that's where, you know, they you, you try to reassure them. That's where, you know, if you have to go pick them up, if they are ha- they're walking home from school, if they're catching the bus. Uh, and I would take them after school to go get ice cream or do something fun with them that first week. And I realized the difference that that started to make in their lives. Listen, work balance is important. It's just not something to say. You have to take care of your spouse Uh You know, you have to take care of the kids. You have to take care um, sometimes of family members. And you've got to make time for everything because in the end, when that career is not there, Alicia, those are the people that are there.
0: When this chapter professionally is done, what do you want the mark that you left on this industry to be?
1: Oh, wow. Wow. You've left me speechless. <laughs> um, You've paved a big way, Lori. You know you have. Listen, I'm just a woman who has been very blessed, I think, to say, and, and people, some people have told me this. Um, I have had college students, people that I never met, never thought that I met, who, who are my skin color. People of color have come up and said to me, I saw you when I was um, growing up and you made me believe. And you proved to me that I could be where you're at or I could do anything that you could. We know that there are not a lot of people who look like me on Hispanic television. We know that. And so, yes, I know that in that sense, I was blessed with uh, being a trailblazer. And so to answer your question, I hope that people remember, especially those uh, who look like me, that I represented them well.
0: I love you, Lori. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to
1: do this. I love you more.
0: Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. see you.